The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. There are lots of lousy businesses, and there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio from the Global News Radio studios in Toronto with Hi-Fi portfolio managers. Here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Good evening, my friends. Welcome back to the show about money. Each and every Saturday here on AM640. Jack and I, Jack Hartle, my partner, portfolio manager, here to help you have more wealth indeed. Uh, Javid Marissa's joined us. He's our chief technical analyst. Uh, Javid is brilliant, and uh, he's a rare breed. Uh, there are very few market technicians left in the industry. Uh, budget constraints, uh, out of favor. I don't know what, but uh, I can't tell you how delighted uh, we are at Canaccord that we do have a market technician to help us uh, navigate the markets, uh, indeed. But again, I, I want to preface one thing, my good friends. I want to preface one thing. We are in a bull market, and the key is not to get rattled and shaken around too much. So the objective of tonight's show with Javid is to give you a, an indication of the potential um, direction of the market for the year. But rest assured, three- to five-year investors, time horizons, sit tight. And enjoy the ride. Uh, the front half of this year certainly has been a bumpy one. Uh, a little strength in the last couple of days. Javid, of course, is speaking about a four-year cycle reset. Uh, Javid, uh, welcome. Good evening, my good friend. Um, thank you very much for spending some time with us. What I'd like you to do, um, please, is uh, for the sake of the audience, explain to them uh, the, the, the four-year cycle uh, what it means, uh, what it is, uh, and the importance of it uh, in your work right here, right now. Perfect. And thank you so much uh, for that, the very nice intro. So, the and you're right, I'll touch on a couple of things here. So, first of all, we're in a secular bull market. That's what our work suggests that has upside out to 2030. A lot of the secular growth themes that we see uh, namely information technology, biotechnology. There's so many advances going on right now. So the bottom line is this bull market, we think, has legs out into at least 2030. Now, within that context of this ongoing wave, you have these cyclical bull and bear markets, and our work suggests that every three to five years, the market goes through basically what we call the market cycle model. So you have an area where uh, everything, uh, a new market cycle starts where everything is awesome. Uh, in our view, that was in uh, 2019. Uh, and then you get into the middle of the cycle and then you get to the end of the cycle. And the end of the cycle is when the economy has been running on full cylinders for a while. And you see that right now because inflation's running hot. And that's typically what happens when you reach the end of one of these business cycles which typically lasts around three to five years. So what we call the four-year cycle reset is essentially the contraction phase of the business cycle. That's when the Fed steps in and says, hey, look, we've been letting this party go on for a bit too long. We're going to start hiking rates. And that's exactly what you're seeing here. So a lot of the areas of the market, like I'm thinking, you know, Kathy Wood with the ARK Investing, a lot of those high growth names, which really benefited during the pandemic from low rates, they've actually been in a bear market here for almost a, a year. So 
The exciting thing is, is once we get through all the choppiness and turbulence, which we see this year, and we think it'll come to some sort of resolution later this summer, once we get through that, we're excited because we're going to start a, a new four-year cycle. And Wolf, if I do my job correctly uh, for you and Jack, then my work is going to hopefully put you in front of the next, you know, Teslas or whatever the next theme is for this next four-year cycle that's going to take us, call it, out in the ballpark 2026. Um, but right here, right now, again, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling uh, a Canadian outperformance. Um, I'm seeing some uh, market confusion in the United States uh, where one day tech is getting uh, annihilated. The next year tech is loved. Um, so I, I'm seeing lack of direction in America, but I'm seeing a pretty clean direction in Canada. Uh, Canada versus the United States for the year of 2022 what kind of weight would you suggest a modern investor take in terms of stock? Uh, which country would you overweight or what would be your positioning between the two countries, Javid? So, um, and here's where I'd say, not, not uh, you know, might not be the, the, the greatest, but uh, thoughts here on what uh, for Canadian investors, but we continue to like the U.S., because we think it's going to outperform, and that's what all our work says out in the 2030. And this is very reminiscent of the bull market that occurred from 1980 to 2000. So you have these bull markets and commodities, and we don't think that's what's going on right now. We're just at the end of the cycle, and the Fed really is going to uh, force our, or, or put a lot of pressure to, to, to tamping down what's going on with inflation. So in, in terms of guidance, we still like the U.S., and all this choppiness to what you said earlier, over the course of this year, we think it's a really awesome opportunity for investors to stay the course, um, you know, and, and that's where a big part of what you come in, uh, where you come in, Wolf, is you really help. You're kind of like the, the, the therapist um, just telling clients, hey, look, this, is, this too will pass and we're going to get through this choppiness. But what I would not recommend um, here is that investors go wholeheartedly into commodities because what we think is we're at the end of this uh, commodity run, which is typically what you see at the end of the, the, the business cycle. So we continue longer term to favor the U.S. and we view this choppiness and volatility over this course of this year as a really exciting longer term entry point. But David, again, I, I want to press you a little bit here, if you don't mind. Uh, oil. <laughs> wow, uh, it is strong and it is quietly strong. And I think the political, and Jack, Jack really pointed me, uh, and I, 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 I love you for it, Jack, you pointed me in the right direction on why oil can go higher. Uh, and that is because of the political landscape, the environmental uh, rhetoric around it, good, bad, whatever. And I, believe me, I love Mother Nature. I want to keep the planet clean. But, but when you restrict supply, restrict development, but nothing changes with demand, you get yourself higher prices. Uh, I think oil can get to 150 a barrel. Finally, see, or Suncor has waking up. That stock has been dead money for a decade. So I'm finally seeing strength in Suncor. C&Q looks very handsome. Arc Energy looks good. And the broad TSX 60, uh, Javid, I, I look at that chart again. You're, you're a chartist, better, more so than I. You're, you're, you're a certified market technician. I'm not. I'm a, a student of the business, as you are as well, of course. Uh, but my point is the, the TSC 60, the TSC 300, the chart looks a lot cleaner than does the NASDAQ, uh, certainly, and you know, for a lesser extent, but the S&P as well. 
So uh, speak to that theme. Is it time to sell? Is it time to sell Canada by U.S. or or maintain a position in both countries? The question then is: To what degree uh, do, do you place your 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 bets? And I also want to speak to you then about the Canadian dollar. If you think the Canadian market is going to lag, uh, you're calling the Canadian dollar. You would be uh, lackluster as well. Hundred percent. I, I do think you know people aren't going to want to hear this, but I think U.S. Uh, Canadian dollar. Um, is going to continue to trend lower for the next, uh, call it, uh, 8 to 10 years. So here's something interesting, and I'm going to give you guys some really good insights for you and your listeners here. So over the last two weeks, we've been visiting institutional uh, accounts uh, here and in the U.S., um, and there's something really interesting that we've noticed in our work. So you know we put out that TSX turning point uh, piece, that publication. Every week, yes. Every week, every Wednesday it comes out. It's a quant technical. And this is one of the areas where, you know, uh, if I could show them this visually, but I'll try to put it in your mind's eye as much as possible. And and you didn't realize there's going to be a quiz. Jack didn't warn you, but there is going to be a quiz. So where Mm -hmm. we are, and when I was visiting clients in November of, we, we, we do marketing every quarter, in November of last year, one sector was absolutely just hammered and doing poorly and ranking very poorly in terms of our technical work. And it was gold. If you look at the gold equities on that TSX turning point, and we put all these stocks into one of four quadrants, and they were in the worst quadrant, but over, and Wolf, it came out yesterday, so you can look at it. If you look at it, and remember, this is monthly. This is long-term movements, very slow. Um, And over the last couple of months, you're seeing the shift of gold equities into early. They're basically turning up and bottoming. And the leaders right now in the material sector in Canada are all gold stocks. But the key point, and here's the quiz, can you guess which sector in June of 2020 looked like the golds where the majority of the stocks were in quadrant four, which was basically the worst quadrant. The oils. Exactly. Economically sensitive. Yeah, exactly. Oils. So here's, and here's the the thing I want to tell you about, which is really interesting. If you look at oils in November, they were all in quadrant two, which was the strong outperformance. The superstars, they're the ones when you go to bed at night, you have peaceful dreams because you're not worried. If you look at the TSX turning point as of Wednesday, those stocks have started to shift in quadrant three, which is basically they're starting to, to pull back and their profiles are de- deteriorating a little bit. Now, what's really interesting is you are very bullish and a lot of portfolio managers that I spoke to um, over the course of the last two weeks, they were very bullish as well. And that's where I, I, I got uh, some pushback was saying, hey, look, at the margin, I think I'd be cautious here. I'm not saying sell, but I'd just be you know, a bit cautious about deploying new capital. So I thought that was very interesting. Over a year and a half, we've had this 180-degree shift in sentiment. And, and to me, it, it's telling. And the last thing I'll leave you with, the key to investing is to have people agree with you eventually. Right. That key word there is eventually. And I think that's all of this is really, really fascinating and important. 
Yeah, it is indeed. You know, I just pulled up a chart of the XLE. That's a, a U.S. Uh, oil ETF, uh, the biggest on the board. Uh, it's trading right now at seventy dollars. The uh, so as a collective, as a basket of stocks, it, it was a hundred dollars uh, in two thousand fourteen. It was ninety five dollars in two thousand and eight. Um, the 50-month moving average looks like it wants to cross through the 200-month moving average, which is also a long-term bullish omen. So I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm, I'm not into selling oil in here. If you're overweight oil, perhaps. If you're market weight oil, my call, my good friends, is stay at least market weight. But, you know, those types of details, truth be told, should not be done by yourselves. It should be done by your experts to help you uh, navigate broader discussions. Uh, minutia like that is, should be left to the pros, truly should be. No different than working on your car. Leave it to the mechanics. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, get right back to the show about money. 640 in Toronto, which is Hi-Fi Radio each and every Saturday night. Jack Hartle, my partner, portfolio manager, we both are. Gavin Mirza, our technical analyst with Canaccord, spending some time with us, a little fireside chat about market directions uh, for the coming months. It's, very interesting stuff. Stay tuned. Let's take a break. But after, Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. That's what the show is all about, my good friends. Got an interesting call from a client. As a matter of fact, I call the client uh, 59 years old and, well, they decided to pack it in and retire. Uh, enough is enough. Perhaps you know, work part time, do something else. They said, uh, "I said, well, congratulations on your retirement." And their response to me was, "I couldn't have done it without you. Because of your performance, Wolf, I'm able to retire, live life on my terms. Uh, freedom, in fact, is what it's all about. A little pressure on me, you know, because they want to now live off the portfolio, and that's we got to adjust uh, the strategy, uh, generate income, send out monthly income. The key is, my good friends, have enough money." so that you consume no more than, say, 5% of it per year maximum. Less is even better. That way you will not run out. I repeat, have enough money so that you consume, say, 3 4 5% a year. Leave the rest alone. Inflation running at 7.5%. That is important stuff because that means that your money in the bank has just lost 7.5% of value, right? All money is, is a means to an end. It's, 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 a, it's purchasing power. What can you do with that dollar today versus tomorrow? And well, a year ago, you could have bought 7% more stuff with a dollar. You have to put it to work. Buy assets, quality assets, because they're all going higher. Uh, the caveat to that thesis <laughs> is interest rates. Uh, if inflation's on the uptick, so too are interest rates. Um, that's been an incredible run, I say, because the interest rate landscape uh, in the world for the last 40 years has been one of lower interest rates. 40 years in the making. In other words, it's been a bull market in the bond market for 40 years. As interest rates go down, bonds go up. And when interest rates go up, bonds go down. It's so important to understand that. Interest rates are being, well, rumored to go higher. Uh, Javid, uh, 
what do you see? Because again, you, you can chart bonds just as well as you can chart commodities and stocks. And I know you pay a lot of attention to the bond market. Uh, what do you see in the bond market? What is the bond market telling us? And what's your call then for interest rates, say the by the end of the year, three years out, five years out? Because if you still believe it's a bull market in the stock, in, the, in equities, what's your comment on the bond market for the next 10 years? Great question. So I don't know about 10 years, but I do know uh, over the next, call it uh, three, six, nine months. So the level we're looking at, and we just touched 2% on the U.S. 10-year, is 225 on the U.S. 10-year. So that's the key level. We think at that point, uh, historically, I'm looking at, you know, the same charts you were talking about. Uh, we're, we're looking at either 20-year charts or going back, you know, 60, 70 years. And one, one thing I want to point out is a lot of people think that, uh, you know, technicals is used for day trading and has very short-term timeframes. But the beautiful thing about charting technical analysis is it's fungible, which means you can use it in a variety of different timeframes. So our work is probably some of the longest on uh, Bay and Wall Street. So 225 is where we think this Fed hiking cycle will end or pause. Um, And our concern is And what would cause us to say, hey, look, something is changing on that 40-year downtrend is if we get to, say, 275 or maybe even a bit higher. Because if you can visualize this 40-year downtrend, if we get to 275 or 3, then that is going to break that downtrend and tell us something bigger is happening. Now, the bad news about that is, of course, if we get into an environment where we have higher rates and higher commodity prices, then that's not going to be a great time for equity markets. And then we're going to see something similar to what we saw in the 70s and more recently from 2000 to 2010, which is a bear market in equities or effectively a 10-year sideways trading range. Now, the good news is if that does take hold, those last two have been coincident with secular bull markets in commodities. Uh, so that should be very good for Canadian and resource investors. That's not our base case, but we have a very open mind and and, uh, are going to be watching the yields very closely over the course of the next uh, year. Jared, there's a lot of debate about which sectors and which markets are most adversely affected by rising interest rates. And in in the last six months, Jack knows the date better than I, the the, the tech market had quite the hissy fit. I guess it was March of last year. Um, It it had a hissy fit, the tech market, because of the threat of rising interest rates. Um, So the commodity market versus the tech market versus the utility market versus the banking sector, which sector is, is, is most adversely or negatively affected by rising interest rates? Which sectors best insulate you from rising interest rates? So uh, some of the, in terms of insulation, it'd be something that would be, uh, basically our work looks at the market cycle and where some of these sectors work. So a lot of the inflation plays, so materials, energy, staples, those do well uh, when rates are uh, being hiked. Uh, and the other area that works well is defensive, and that would be healthcare. Now, I'm talking about healthcare in the US, not in Canada, um, because most of the Canadian healthcare is cannabis, which is offensively minded and not <laughs> defensively minded. So if you tried to play that here in Canada, you would kind of get punched in the face. But in, in terms of which sectors are going to be punished by higher rates, remember, uh, in terms of valuation, 
that's part of the the discount rate being used. So that's why, as Jack pointed out, like tech's under pressure. You just have to look at the ARK ETF uh, ticker ARKK, which has a lot of these high growth names, and it's been absolutely uh, pummeled here over the last year uh, year or so. So. Information technology, biotechnology, some of the big sectors that we like long-term for the duration of this bull market have been hammered. And those are actually the areas of the market that I would really like to pick away at over the course of this year. And and those being which ones, Javit, to remind us? Information technology, biotechnology. So they're the ones that are really affected by uh, rates uh, rising. Right. Well, my dog's going to bark to that one. Uh, let, let me throw it over to Jack. Uh, get, hear what he's got to say about it all and uh, fire a few questions over to Javid, if you don't mind, Jack. Sure. Thanks, Wolf. And thanks, Javid, for all the information you're providing. I would just add there on the, uh, the you know, which sectors benefit and which ones really get hurt. Um, one of the things that is most important is the fact that the rate of change. So how quickly the Federal Reserve actually raises rates. And that's one of the concerns of the market right now. I believe the market is pricing in four rate hikes. So of 25 basis points, but if you know we feel that we're behind the curve and, and the and inflation is running too hot, um, there is the potential for them to raise 50 basis points um, or more, um, you know, in the next in a, in a couple rate hikes. So in that situation, the, the longer duration uh, technology stocks that you know have you know cash flows discounted well into the future they would be disproportionately hurt because the market had not priced that in. So I think that's one thing that's really important to keep uh, in mind when you're looking at the different sectors. Um, If they increase gradually, if interest rates increase gradually, you know, especially from a low base, um, companies that have pricing power can certainly adjust and they tend to not get as hurt. But um, going back to Javid's comments here, just about interest rates and two and a quarter, I sent uh, for the Fed at the end of the cycle. So does that mean you're looking out at, I guess, two years uh, for rate hikes before they start to, um, to to start to either reduce rates or um, just sort of go on pause? Yeah, so it would be similar to 2018. So what we could see, it's funny, you, you nailed that on the rate of change too, um, is one of the things that could cause another tantrum is that in March, if if the they, I think they're expecting 25 bips, but if they hike if, if they hike uh, 50, so yeah, over the course, uh, I mean, look, the market's always forward looking, so we could see um, rates stabilize here at 225, and though even though the mark the Fed is hiking, you, you could see uh, rates kind of stay the same just because it's already been uh, effectively priced in, and then. We'll see what happens once the Fed moves to, towards language of, of saying, hey, look, we're, we're done for now. Um, and then that's when typically uh, you start a, a new growth cycle. So, yeah, 225 is what we're looking at and, and watching as the, the cap for this uh, current cycle right now. Uh, Javid, in terms of 225 getting breached, again, friends, we're talking about the bond market. It, it's a different animal, but it's important to understand. Uh, so when we talk about rates, we mean interest rates. And uh, when we talk about the 10-year, we're talking about a government bond that has a 10-year duration in it, 10 years of life in it. Uh, and and that, that's, again, market participants pay attention to the 30-day uh, bond market, the five-year bond market, the 10-year bond market to get clues uh, as to where interest rates are going to go. Uh, so, Javid, if the 10-year trades at 225 yield, um, how many rate hikes does that imply the central bank is going to uh, uh, put to the market this year? That I don't know, but I've heard. So the, I think there's a Fed federal futures rate. Uh, or basically, the Fed futures, I think, are 
pricing in four to seven hikes. Last I heard, I think it was it's seven. four. Yeah, it's four. Yeah. So, but so if if they put through four rate hikes this year, um, would the ten year hold two and a quarter, or would it actually breach I, above two and a quarter? No, I think I think it would hold because remember the market's always forward looking. So that's the Correct. expectation and expectation the market has here and anything, any kind of surprise or uncertainty would cause that uh, figure to, to, to move. So that's why, it, it, you know, if you yeah. have, for instance, no, if, if I may, to, no, if I may interrupt, because I'm just looking at the, at the, at the levels right now. So, so the Canadian uh, the overnight lending rate uh, or the 30 day bond market, same thing is 40 basis points. Uh, and the 10 year here in Canada is 1.9%. So again, the central banks cannot affect the 10-year bond market. What they can do is change interest rates at the very short end, the overnight lending rate, which Prime is based off of, my friends. Right now, that number is is 0.4%. So if, if the central bank in Canada probably moves similar to what the United States does, give or take a cut, if they raise four times, that means the short-term interest rate will be 1.4%. But the 10-year bond could continue to trade at 2.25%, not be breached Javid's number, still have what's called an upward sloping yield curve, which would still be conducive to an expanding economy from a lending perspective. Uh, I, I put a lot into that statement. You may want to digest that over time. This is, by the way, if this stuff confuses you, call us. Uh, WolfgangKlein.com. Reach out to Jack and I. We'll answer any questions, give you more detail on the stuff we're talking about. This stuff does matter. I'm just trying to help you get a better understanding of how markets participate and, and, and play out. Um, so two and a quarter holds is basically your call. Uh, which would be uh, no no inversion of the curve, no no pushing into recession. Do you mind pivoting, Javid? Um, part of the theory uh, of the four year cycle ties into the presidential cycle. But but what happens in and around a midterm election? Great question, and that was what went into part of our analysis when we put out our outlook at the start of the year. But bottom line, and in a nutshell, the market hates uncertainty. You've got all this overhang with that uncertainty and with the midterms, but historically. The fourth quarter of the year is very strong in the second year of the presidential cycle because at that point, the market sees or understands which part of the bills the president that he platformed on are going to be put through. And as a result, uh, there's more certainty. And that's also typically when a lot of the new cycle starts. And this aligns with our work. And we've been telling clients, look, a lot of volatility, choppiness into the summer. But the good news is that should set up uh, or pave the ground for a new four-year cycle. My friends, work, save, invest, repeat. Do that for 25 years. And the point to it is, don't worry about the noise. Continue to invest every month, every paycheck. Do that for 25 years. You have a great chance of being rich. Four-letter word, and it's a good one. Uh, Javid Mirza, our technician, market technician with Canaccord Genuity. Uh, great mind, very helpful. Uh, really uh, is uh, giving Jack, some, Jack and I a lot of uh, goalposts to work uh, within uh, as we help clients build wealth, and that's exactly what we do. Visit us, WolfgangKlein.com. You can see our performance. It is stellar, if I may, uh, and Javid is a big part of that success. Uh, you have yourself a great weekend. We're going to speak with Derek DeLay, uh, our consumer analyst at Canaccord, talk about some of his names, what's hot, what's not, right after this. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. 
The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Get up, stand up. It is a show about money. Derek DeLay, one of our analysts at Canaccord, uh, graciously going to spend some time with us this evening. Uh, covers a lot of consumer discretionary stocks, including uh, some U.S. cannabis names. Um, tell you, the cannabis names have been left for dead. Uh, and if you recall, uh, over the course of the last couple of years, uh, Jack and I did forewarn people that uh, cannabis was a speculative sector with a lot of additional risks uh, unknown to man. We're talking about uh, the U.S. government, the Fed. Uh, you don't really want to mess with them because uh, they have a lot of control uh, over uh, a lot of things, including, of course, uh Cannabis. And, uh, well, the U.S., uh, on a state basis, continues to open up. On a federal basis, a uh, bit of gridlock going on. Um, the pot stocks, I tell you, just unbelievable value being shown. Uh, profitable to boot, uh, but the mania certainly is done. And, you know, similar to oil. Similar to oil, my good friends. If you want the fat pitch and you're going to hit the fat pitch, you buy it when they don't like it. Difficult to do because no one's talking pot stocks at parties anymore. Two years ago, three years ago, when Jack and I and Derek DeLay went to a party, people would swarm us and ask us not about Microsoft, not about Apple, but about pot stocks, uh, junky pot stocks, just with an idea on paper. And the stocks were going up, you know, 40% a day. Uh, unbelievable. It was dangerous. And it was, it was a mania, uh, a, a bubble uh, was created and burst. Um, but now again, you have yourself an opportunity uh, where so much progress has been made in legislation globally. Companies have are, are, are well established, uh, they're profitable, and their share prices are cheap. Uh, again, two three years ago, oil was free. It was free. In fact, they were paying people to take it off the tankers because they had to send the tanker back home. I said, it went negative. Oil went negative. Today, it's $90 a barrel. He who bought oil two, three years ago made off well. And, you know, perhaps, Derek, the, the setup is being made right now, not in a, such such a sector as, as uh, crude oil, but... Uh, you know, a good old staple, cannabis, it is a staple. You know, tobacco used to be a staple. Cannabis is a staple. Um, and uh, these stocks are, are, are presenting value. I am not long a single pot stock, Derek. Uh, and welcome to the show, my good friend. So so why don't we speak to that uh, uh, topic, if we may. You cover yeah. US, some U.S. names. Uh, what's your take on value? What's your take on legislation? Uh, is it too early to step in? Because I, I think technically maybe it's a little bit premature, but at some point you gotta you got to begin building positions if you're interested in, 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 in creating, you know, again, outsized returns. No, and, and that the... Um the parallel you drew to to the oil and gas or the energy sector in Canada is is, is a good one. So you know you, you're right in in your comments that over the last say two to three years, you know we saw a lot of um, you know strong share price appreciation from these cannabis stocks in the U.S. And there was a whole host of reasons. I think number one was investor momentum. It was a new and exciting sector. Um, you know there was a lot of euphoria around what this what the potential for these companies could be. And as we expected, and as we've kind of seen play out in, in other industries that start off as, as high growth industries, relatively new industries, and, and frankly, there's nothing new about cannabis. It, the only thing new about it was <laughs> it was becoming more legal, uh, and you could actually invest in, in companies uh, in, in a legal basis. What we saw was you have a number of different 
companies emerge, and then typically there's a whole host of smaller players that come out, and in a lot of cases you see management teams that may have been involved in a completely different industry that at one point was also a quote-unquote hot industry moving into you know the next sort of high-growth thing. And those are, tend to be the companies that you want to avoid, right, because a lot of times there's not a lot of direct industry experience held at those companies. So what we focused on was good quality management teams and strong asset bases. We were looking for companies that had a what we thought was a good collection of assets, particularly in the U.S., where things are very, very complicated. Everything is regulated on a state-by-state basis, and each state has a different set of rules and guidelines, um, you know, governing licenses, and, and can you own a dispensary? How many can you own? Is there a cap? Can you own a cultivation facility with that dispensary? There's a whole bunch of complications, so it really did take a lot of work to understand the different nuances, and we really decided to pick the companies that we thought had the best management teams and had the best asset base. And if you look today, you know, those are the companies, Wolfgang, that you've mentioned that are extremely, extremely profitable. And we're not talking a little bit. You know, we're talking companies that are going to produce in 2022 $500 million U.S. of EBITDA. I mean, I've covered the consumer product sector for 16 years. And there's a handful, 10, 15 companies in Canada that, that produce that type of number of EBITDA. So these are these are extremely profitable, large companies. But because they sell cannabis, there's all sorts of regulations on who can own them, who can't own them, what exchange they can be listed on. And in our view, this has created a strong dislocation of where these you know these these stocks should actually trade at. When we look at the the space now, and you're right, it it the the latter half of 2021 was very challenging. We saw valuations come down about 40%, but it appears like we reached the bottom a couple of weeks ago, and now we've seen the stocks. There's a lot of momentum. We're getting more investor interest. At Canaccord, we just held a couple, uh, three actually, cannabis roundtables within the last two weeks, and we had extremely strong investor interest at those roundtables. So we're starting to see the momentum and investors come back into the sector, and we certainly think there's a number of tailwinds uh, on the horizon. One is continued strong growth on a quarterly basis, and we're going to see that in our view over the course of 2022. Uh, two is we've started to see a handful of companies really separate themselves from the pack, and those are certainly the ones where you want to be invested in. And and then three, you know, and I think this is what something you touched on, Wolfgang, as well on the federal level, and this is what caused, in our view, the stocks to decline last year. You know, there there has not been a lot of momentum on the federal level in terms of you know the holy grail, which is legalization, similar to what we have in Canada. We certainly don't expect that to happen in 2022. But there's a number of other, I don't want to say smaller, but incremental bills that we do see um, having a high likelihood of getting passed, which are going to increase uh, opportunities for cannabis companies. It's going to lower the cost of capital. There, there could even be tax benefits uh, to a very restrictive tax rate that cannabis companies face. I'm not going to bore everybody with that today, but that could go away, which would be extremely incremental. So there's a number of smaller tailwinds. And then certainly on a state-by-state basis, every few months we hear of another state going from a medical program to an adult use program or going from not allowing cannabis at all to allowing it on a medical basis. So there's certainly a lot of momentum behind the space. And we are very, very constructive on the U.S. cannabis space, uh, looking at the stocks and the valuations today. Look, we're going to take a quick break. We're speaking with Derek Delay, a consumer analyst uh, with Canaccord. He also covers uh, uh, the U.S. cannabis space uh, that's been left for dead. I want to talk about the banking sector within. Uh, if they're able to bank, that was a key issue because that's federally regulated. What the upcoming catalysts perhaps are politically in the United States. Uh, and pivot over to other names within his sector outside of cannabis. We're going to get some of his best ideas. Stay tuned. Hi-Fi Radio, 640 Toronto. Money. Listen, we're going to take a break. But when we come back, money. more money talk. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.
You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. You know the song, my friends. Final tour, 2022, apparently. (laughs) Hey, if you love what you do, you keep doing it. So don't use the word final. Just continue. Uh, Will the who sell out? I say not. Uh, All the critics that I'm I'm, I'm reading are saying Daltrey can't sing, and I'm in that camp. I was a big who fan. Um, Anyways, little Baba Roddy, Teenage Wasteland. We're talking... Pot stocks with Derek Delay, one of our analysts at Canaccord, very, very smart man. He understands consumer behavior, he understands trends. Uh, and of course, that's his job is to stay on top of current trends that are going in the right direction. Uh, and every now and then, well, things take a direction for the temporary worse and then stabilize and set up a good opportunity. That perhaps is what's taking place in the marijuana space. Um, give us some names, uh, my good friend, uh, Mr. Derek DeLay. Uh, what, what's, what, what names do you think are of highest quality and, and, and finest value for not traders, but rather investors who want to invest in the cannabis space because they believe, they believe in cannabis? No, and that's exactly it, and, and and that's really good advice, Wolfgang. Is is when you look at this space, you know, we think we are very much in in the early innings of what's going to be a secular trend and a secular growth trend for U.S. cannabis. So you really want to pick the names, and you don't want to trade them because they went up ten percent in one day or two days or had a good earnings report. You want to really back the companies that you think are going to have a big opportunity to you know be one of the leaders over the long term. When we look at our list, you know, there's there's a there's a few names, a handful, let's call it that have really separated themselves from the pack. Uh, you know, our top pick is, is a company called True Leave Cannabis Corp. Now, True Leave is, is the biggest cannabis operator, depending on how you look at it. They have the largest retail footprint of, of over 160 dispensaries in the U.S. They have the most cultivation square footage at over 3 million uh, square feet of, of cultivation. And I think most importantly, they're the most profitable. And certainly as, a, as, an, as an investment analyst like myself, this is something that, that we key in on. The company is also, in our view, extremely well positioned in what we think are three of the most attractive states within the U.S. for cannabis companies. Florida, which is the biggest medical market, Leaf has over 50% market share in Florida. Pennsylvania, which is a state that has probably, in our view, the second best medical market and is one that is likely to switch to a adult use or rec legal uh, operation in the next two years. So that's going to be a major catalyst. And and when you think about states that go from medical to rec, you typically get a 3x or 300% increase in the amount of cannabis consumption within the state. So if you're an incumbent that already is part of that medical program, you're in a very good situation when those states go and turn on an adult use program. And certainly that's something that we think is going to happen uh, in Pennsylvania. And then the third state where they also have a leading position is Arizona. And this is a state that they really entered in a big way through acquisition. Truly made an acquisition of a company called Harvest last year. It's the biggest acquisition that's ever happened in the cannabis space. And we think it was an extremely smart and accretive acquisition that added Arizona as another um, you know state where the company now has a leadership position. Arizona, just like I mentioned, Pennsylvania is likely to go 
adult use. Arizona actually did that at the beginning of 2021. So it was a medical market that added an adult use component. And similarly to what, what I mentioned, we've seen um, cannabis consumption move up sort of 250 to 300% within that state. And the fact that, you know, truly even harvest, we're already very well positioned there and it's a limited license state, which is important too. Uh, it's going to lead to really strong revenue and EBITDA generation for TrueLeave over time. The company has a very, very attractive balance sheet, and this is another thing that's really important when you look at cannabis companies. Do they have enough capital to invest in growth? Because like I mentioned at the outset, we think we're in the very early innings, early stages of what's a secular growth industry. That means you're going to have to spend money to capitalize on that on that growth. TrueLeave has the best balance sheet in the industry. They were able to you know, raise equity and, and debt, which is new to the cannabis space, at a very, very attractive rate. So extremely well positioned from that side. And then the most important thing, not the most important thing, but how you, we sum it all up is, okay, well, is that being reflected in the stock price? What's the valuation? TrueLeave actually trades at a discount to uh, many of the larger peers, which in our view makes no sense. The stock's trading around seven and a half, eight times EBITDA, where the peers trade closer to 11, 12. There's no reason why TrueLeaf should not be trading at an industry-leading multiple. So just that alone, you know, you've got like 50% upside on a multiple re-rating. So TrueLeaf, certainly one of our, our favorite names. If we move down the pecking order a little bit, you know, other names on the large cap side that are, are well-liked by investors, GTII and CureLeaf, would be two that come to mind. But there's another company called AYR, which is a, it's a bit of a smaller MSO, so it wouldn't be in the top five, but it would be in the next five to 10. Again, this is a name that has an extremely attractive footprint on a state-by-state basis, Pennsylvania, Massachusetts, um, Nevada, where they're they're a leader uh, in that state, and trades at an extremely attractive multiple around five and a half, six times, uh, which again, we think is, is way too low for a company that, yeah, while it's not in that tier one, it's it's right on the cusp of, of being in that tier one and certainly should be trading at a, at a higher multiple. Uh, really strong management team, strong balance sheet, very good execution since the company has gone public, uh, and they're generating, like I said, material EBITDA and free cash flow, uh, which is, which is is obviously very important going forward. So those are those are you know two of the names that we we really like in this space going forward. Please help Jack and I out because I'm your TrueLeaf really is on my it's top of my list right now and, and I'm watching closely. It's up six and a half percent today, uh, but it's it's fifty percent off its fifty two week high. The stock was over sixty. Stocks trading just above thirty. Sales, you know, two years ago were what one hundred fifty million. Uh, in twenty twenty one, I think they were on six hundred and fifty million. Uh, so it's moving in the right direction. Of course, you got to forecast out uh, CureLeaf. Uh, give me thirty seconds on why you like CureLeaf. Yeah, sure. So CureLeaf, uh, CureLeaf is is from a um, license perspective, which means you know the ability to have to own licenses, open dispensaries, and open cultivation across the U.S. They have the broadest footprint. So while CureLeaf has more dispensaries today, a lot of that is Florida. They have a hundred dispensaries in Florida. CureLeaf has the widest uh, amount of states that they could eventually you know open up dispensaries in it. And they're going to do that over time, but you know, you can't invest in growth in every single state at the same time. So they're not quite as big today, but they will or are the biggest by footprint. Again, really well-run company, um, strong management team with a big focus on, on CPG. So they've, they've got a, you know, an interesting angle into the CBD market. They recently acquired an asset in Europe, which could be, you know, very, very uh, exciting over the, uh, over the medium term. Europe's not nearly uh, as developed of a market as the U.S., but it could be, right? And uh, and they've got a really really strong balance sheet as well. Uh, you know they've got a, they've got a, a very well connected and well backed chairman uh, who's been able to do some smart and 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 creative uh, things in terms of in terms of raising capital. Securelyf is certainly well positioned uh, from a capital perspective to go and really accelerate their growth going forward. 
Well, my good friends, as Andy Frost used to say on Q107, put that in your pipe and smoke it. Derek Delay, cannabis analyst, consumer discretionary analyst with Canaccord. Very, very smart man. I can't thank you enough for your time, my good friends. We'll have to get together for a drink soon and uh, talk more about it. Uh, I am very interested in your space uh, and you do some more work on it. My good friends, you have yourselves a safe weekend. A real pleasure spending an hour with you each and every Saturday night. Any questions for Jack Hartle or myself? WolfgangKlein.com, TheWolfOnBayStreet.com. Drop us a line. We'll get right back to you. If you're looking for a great advisor, we just might be your team. You can check us out. Be safe. Be well. Be wealthy. We'll speak to you soon. You've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. We'll see you next week. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.